Father, Father God, thank You for that song this morning. Thank You for the message of that song. Lord, that is a great hymn that teaches us the great truths of Scripture. That Your love is marvelous. That You took our sin and You paid the ransom. And so, Lord, because of that, with Your Son's death on the cross, we can sing how marvelous Your love is. Father, I pray that today we hear the message of that song, that we allow it to penetrate our heart and our mind. No matter where we are in our journey of Christ, Lord, that song speaks so much truth. Thank You. Father, we ask today that You would speak to us through the preaching of Your Word, that Scripture would become alive, that it would be alive and active in this room today that You'd use Your Scriptures, Lord, to shape us and to guide us and to grow us as Christ's followers. Lord, help us to hear Your Word today and help us be willing to be doers of Your Word and help us to live it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 3 is where we'll be as we continue walking our way through the book of James, learning how to live all day, every day with a faith that's in Christ. J.I. Packer great author of the book called Knowing God, sold over a million copies just here in America, but it's a book that has gone across the world, says that receiving wisdom from God is like being taught to drive. That kind of hits home for me right now. Because the driving thing is very active in our life right now, especially teaching people to drive. I have one that is like that close, to having his restricted license, which means he can now get himself to places he needs to go to. We just have a little bit left. And then I have one who's turning 16, Caleb, in December, and he can't wait to get his permit. He's biting at the bullet for that. And a year and a half after that, Lily Grace will be going for her permit. So for the next three years, I need your prayers. As we train teenagers how to drive. One thing I have learned, though, is teaching somebody how to drive is not easy. I wish they had a class for the parents. Before you teach your teenager how to drive, you need to take this class so you don't kill them and they don't kill you. I mean, it's been quite an experience trying to teach my son how to drive. Luke, what are you doing? You're going off the road. No, don't go that way. Dad, I'm okay. I got control. No, you don't. You're almost off the road. Oh, did you see that? He's like, Dad, I got it. I'm not sure if you do. We got out of the car, slammed the door, marching in the house. We're both mad at each other because of driving. Somebody else should have to teach your kids how to drive. They'd probably do a better job. But trying to teach a child highway driving, including entering and exiting changing lanes and passing vehicles and navigating an intersection when the traffic signal's not working or yielding to traffic and merging to traffic and pulling off a road safely and how to get back on the road and navigating a roundabout. Who came up with that crazy idea? I know they're, they're interesting, but trying to teach a teenager about a roundabout Stopping for pedestrians, varying vehicle speeds to accommodate driving, the driving setting and a road conditions and how to park a vehicle and pull it in a parking space and back it in a parking space and then the ever-dreaded parallel parking that we haven't tackled yet that we have to still accomplish. How, how do you do that? And then here's the question. How many of you all know what a three-point turn is? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Some of you guys know. I had no idea. I said, three-point turn? That's going to be on the test? YouTube, show me how to do a three-point turn. Had no idea what that was, but that's on the test. And so we had to, I had to learn the three-point turn first to, in order to teach him how to do the three-point turn. 
Mr. Packer writes these words. He says, what matters in driving is the, is the speed and appropriateness of your reactions to things and the soundness of your judgment as to what scope a situation gives you. You do not ask yourself why the road should narrow or screw itself into a dogleg wiggle just where it does, nor why that van should be parked where it is, nor why the driver in front should hug the crown of the road so lovingly. You simply try to see and do the right thing in the actual situation that presents itself. The effect of wisdom is to enable you and me to do just that in the actual situations every day of life. And I would add to that to say all day long, every day. See, we don't teach driving skills just to have the knowledge. You teach driving skills and you practice it because one day these teenagers or mine are going to be on the road of life all by themselves. And they're going to be out there all by themselves and I have to wonder, are they prepared and are they ready to go? And so the goal is to prepare them to be road worthy and road ready. And that's what James is doing for us. He's preparing us to be life ready ready to face everything that life has to throw our ways. And he's shown us how to do that every day, all day long, in any and every situation. Every day, you and I are faced with situations in which we need wisdom to respond. And that's what James is getting to today. Look at the text with me, James chapter 3. I'll be starting in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it, by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from the heaven, from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What's the challenge from James in our text? Now remember the setting here James is dealing with Christians. He writes this letter and he's saying, here, I want you to live according to wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world. James invites those who claim to be wise to step forward so that he can analyze the legitimacy of their claim. He's telling them, I've been talking to you about wisdom already, and now he's trying to bring it up again. You say, how's he already been talking about wisdom? Well, in James 1.22, he says, be doers of the book, be doers of the word, and not just merely hearers of the word. And so he's saying wisdom is when you've heard God's teaching, when you understand the call of Christ, wisdom is, are you doing it? And James 2.14 and, and on, as he talks about uh, faith apart from works that is dead, James assesses their wisdom not on theological terms, but but on practical terms. He's saying you've heard the word, you, you, you understand the word, but wisdom is are you living it? It's not merely an intellectual hearing, but it's practical. True wisdom produces humility and it produces meekness. Wisdom must always be accompanied by humility, James says. This is the opposite of arrogance and self-promotion. And meekness doesn't come from weakness or cowardice or passivity, but from trusting God and being set free from the anxious self-promotion. And so James is lifting up and saying, Christians, let's live as people of wisdom. So what is wisdom? A simple definition of wisdom is this, is wisdom is the skillful practice of applying knowledge to the matter of practical living. 
That's what James is saying. James is saying, listen, I've showed you practically. I've taught you about your tongue. I've talked to you about how you treat people. I've talked about different things. And wisdom is, are you applying it? Are you putting it to action? If your wisdom were taken for a road test, would you pass the inspection? If not, why not? James begins to deal with how to live our lives by asking the question, who is wise and understanding among you? And we know that none of us want to be known as a fool if we did a test in here and said, are you smart or are you wise? And I pass that out. I would guess that probably would have 99% of you say, I'm wise. Maybe higher than that. None of us want to be known as a fool. We all want to be perceived as being intelligent, being in the know. So James tells us, all right, let's look at these two kinds of wisdom. He says there's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. Let's consider this worldly wisdom first of all. How can you tell the difference? I think it's by the fruit. James is pointing out we know our wisdom if we're following the ways of the world and the wisdom of the world or if we're following the wisdom of God by the fruit. James gives a description of those who, who have wisdom of the world. Here's what James says is their experience or their lifestyle results of following the world way. He says they're, they're full of bitter envy, strife, selfish ambition, discord, and pride. He lays that out and says this is of the world. And so it's fair for us to stop and look at ourselves first and say, okay, the fruit of my life, does it demonstrate envy? Do you struggle with envy? If so, you're dealing with the wisdom of the world. Do, do I find that there's a lot of strife in my life and my relationships and people I interact with? There's always a constant tension and, and battles going on? Well, that's of the world. Do you notice that selfishness is a major part of your life that you want to be able to just take care of me, myself, and I? Jay's saying, hey, then you're living according to world, worldly wisdom or discord or pride. And so we can take that and we can do a self-evaluation and go, is the fruit of God in me or not? Is the fruit of the Spirit living in me or not? And it's fair because throughout the Bible, we're admonished to not stand in judgment over one another as a judge, but we're to be careful observer as fruit inspectors. It's fair for us then to try to understand other people and go, are they walking according to the wisdom of the world or wisdom of God? Jesus instructed his disciples and others during his sermon in Matthew that false teachers would be known by the fruit that they produce. So he's saying, be observant. And it's okay for us to be observant. There's a difference between judging and saying, oh, you're going to hell and being observant, going, oh, I'm not sure, I think they're walking more according to, to the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And see, we see the results of this worldly wisdom. You see it every single day in the newspapers, flashing on television screen and in your news feed that comes across your computer. When you see things like murder and abuse and injustice and stealing and lying and conflict and divorce and crime and every imaginable thing, just look at our political scape right now. And you can sign up what kind of wisdom is being followed. You know, speaking of that, you say, well, where did all this kind of start? Why is it in such a mess right now? I think a lot of it goes back to, if you remember back when Bill Clinton went through his situation in regards to Monica Lewinsky, he defended himself by saying that what he said was not false by how he defined the term false. He said, well, that's not how I defined it. And he tried to re-explain it and redefined it. And my question is, is where do we get the chance to redefine what is truth and what is not truth? What is real and what is not real? Since when are we allowed to define the meaning of words by our own standards? And so we just continue down that kind of path in our culture today where we pursue worldly wisdom, where we allow worldly wisdom. Church, 
what James is saying is we've got to live differently. We must live differently. That's where we are today. Words defined for personal advantage in the world buys into it. Selfish, sensual, and of the devil. And that's the world's wisdom. And James is saying, now remember the setting here. The church was under persecution. Stephen had been stoned. They had scattered. And so James is telling them, listen, you cannot live according to the wisdom to the culture of the day. You must live according to God's wisdom. And that is still true today cannot live according to the culture of the day. We must live according to what God's standard is. And so James is laying out and saying, here's the world's standard, and now here's God's standard. Let's look at the other side of the coin of godly wisdom. James gives us eight characteristics of the fruit of godly wisdom. He says, first of all, it's pure. What what does he mean by that? Well, it's pure in motive. It's clean. It's unblemished. I don't think it's by accident that James starts with saying, first of all, it's pure. Because without purity, the other seven characteristics are actually unattainable. In order to start with purity, there must be a cleansing. Look at Isaiah 64, 6. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. See, in Isaiah's prayer, he's pointing out that our finest deed done apart from God are nothing more than filthy rags in his sight. Absolutely nothing more. And and we must be cleansed just as Isaiah's lips were touched by hot coal from the altar and the disciples' feet were washed by Jesus. God's wisdom will only come to us if we are clean vessels that He can fill. It doesn't mean we're not maybe broken vessels. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we're clean pots because we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And James is like, if you're going to live a life that honors God and godly wisdom, it starts with being purified and believing in the blood of Jesus Christ. The second attribute is to be peace-loving. There are two kinds of peace, and both are referred to as here. Just as the cross is the symbol in which paid the price for our freedom and sin, it enables us to have peace with God and peace with others. This idea of peace-loving is, is pointing right back to the cross, and that when you look at the cross, there's a vertical beam, and the vertical beam points us right up to God, and what James is talking about here is you can be peace-loving when you're at peace with God, when you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and you live underneath the blood of Jesus, then you're at peace with God, but he's also talking about a peace that comes with mankind, which is the horizontal beam of the cross, and he's saying, as you learn how to love one another and you love people, you have peace with me, and you have peace with others, then you live in a peace-loving situation in your life. That's exactly what Ten Commandments was about. The first four commandments is all about me and my relationship with God, and how I love God, and the next six are all about me and mankind, and how I have loving relationships. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly what God was calling us to, and that's exactly what James is addressing here. He's saying, listen, we've got to have that horizontal relationship of love and we have to have the relationship with brothers and sisters of love be peace loving once we have a pure heart and we're at peace with god and peace with others then we can start experience the wisdom that god allows us to be considerate and submissive see to be considerate means that you balance justice with mercy truth with grace. You can put yourself into other person's position and understand the many facets of the situation. This takes wisdom from on high, but God grants this kind of, of wisdom to the pure and the peaceable person. Howard Fickett Jr. told a story of a hardworking widow who had false, four small children, and she was renting an apartment, and she came upon hard times. 
And the hard times got so bad where she couldn't afford her rent. And the landlord had every right to tell her, it's time to pack up your stuff and move out. That's justice. That's living by the law. But the landlord, who was a man of God, also knew maybe she needed an extra help or extra hand, and so he would have conversation with her because he knew she had already paid her rent and it's always paying on time and knew she must have hit something really hard. And so in conversations, he worked with her and said, you know what, justice or the law or by the rule or by the, by the lease that you signed, you'd have your rent turned in by a certain day of every month, and you're not hitting that, but I want to extend some mercy to you. Because you're going through a time of brokenness. You're going through a time of challenge. That's what James is talking here, being considerate and submissive. See, the world demands justice. And rightly so, because that makes sense. We're used to a court system. In a court system, you broke the law, you, you pay the penalty. But what would happen if God chose justice over mercy for you and me? We'd be in trouble. Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, because of your broken sin, what we deserve is eternal separation from God forever, and that's eternity in hell. Wages of sin is death. But, here's the good news, the gift of God, that's mercy. That's grace. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Although you've broken the laws, you've broken the rules, you're a sinner, I provide my son Jesus, and because of his death, his burial and resurrection, there's mercy extended. We have the opportunity to be in heaven and eternity with God forever if we believe in that message. See, because God's heart desires to give life and to bless, and we know he always has our best interest in mind. Therefore, wisdom leads us to submit our will to God's for His way is always best. Obedience is based upon trusting that God knows not only our past and present, but also our future. Following God with complete obedience is that which was wise in the eyes of God. And James is trying to tell people, listen, being considerate and be submissive. Being considerate, the, the practicing the, the, the mercy side, but being submissive is saying, God's in charge. And God has extended mercy to me and that he will be Lord. See, what we have going on in the church in America today that has been such a challenge for too many years and why American church has not been powerful and effective as it could be is because we have confessed that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. As I do. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Because we have a hard time with Lordship. Lordship means... I believe Jesus is my Savior and Lord, which means Savior, He rescued me from the pit of hell. He rescued me from my sin. But Lord means He has goodness and mercy and justice for me, and I trust Him so much that He's Lord, He's in charge. And I'll submit, even when I may not like it and may not enjoy it, but I'll say, well, you know what? You're Lord, and I'll do what you want me to do. We've gotten away from that in our culture today. The gospel call is a strong call, and James is saying, listen, drop your stubbornness. Drop your, your egotistical way. Drop your idea that I've got to have it all my way. Drop the idea of, well, I don't feel like it. And James is saying, submit your life to God. That's wisdom, because the wise person surrenders and lets God be God in every area of life. Not just some things, but in in everything. And they, that's the call of James. The fifth and sixth characteristics of God's wisdom is seen in being full of mercy and good fruit. I like how James keeps missing it, mixing in this idea of mercy. He's like, okay, this is the call, now let me give him a mercy. Now this is the call, and I'm going to give a little bit of grace. 
He keeps bringing that balance back. The balance of grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. I, I, I think that this, this story kind of illustrates what he's trying to teach here. During a revolutionary war, there was, a, there was an order that if any of the soldiers were found asleep while they were on post, they were to be punished by death. And as the story goes, there was a young man who fallen asleep and he was to receive that death. The boy was, was sentenced to be executed within the next, next few days. And so the boy's mother had heard about this and immediately she appeals for the son's commanding officer and she's begging the commanding officer, please, sir, don't, don't, don't take my boy's life. It was an accident. He fell asleep and she pleads and, and she's pleading, please, please, please spare his life. Don't let him be executed. And, and the commanding officer's like, hey, she, he was found asleep at his post and the commander said, he deserves to die. And the mom's response was, I, I'm not asking for justice, sir. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for mercy. That's mercy. And then the commanding officer responded with allowing the boy to not be executed and reinstated him. That's showing good fruit of wisdom. See, when you extend mercy and then it demonstrates good fruit, what happens is people have an opportunity to see Christ. See Christ. The commander's heart was so moved that he put his compassion to work and he extended the mercy because godly wisdom shows itself in Christ's likeness towards others. Yes, sometimes people deserve, they deserve to be, have justice instilled up upon them. But we can really demonstrate mercy and grace. Who, who needs mercy from you today? Who needs a hand of grace extended to you today? Who are you going to interact with this week that, you know what, I, I just need to show some mercy? Is it a relationship you're in? Is it, is it a husband, a wife? Is it a child? Is it a son or daughter? Is it a relationship at work where you're like, you know what, the, the law says this, but I'm going to extend some mercy. And sometimes that's a hard balance. He's like, I've given mercy a bunch of times, but I'd rather err on giving someone mercy than being in the wrong and giving them justice when they need more mercy. That's the way God erred for us. I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy every day. Because every single day I blow it in some way. And I'm thankful that God doesn't come down and say, oh, zap you, preacher. Yeah, you did that wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. He keeps extending mercy, and he keeps trying to lift me up and say, i, want, I got a higher call for you to live. Finally, James lists being impartial and sincere as wisdom. Integrity and honesty is the hallmark of godliness and true wisdom. True wisdom is the same in private as it is in pub is public. Hypocrisy is never from God. Those that profess to be something they are not are, are not models of godliness. James is talking about how those who have godly wisdom are not out to please people, but they're out to please God. Those who, who have this kind of sincerity and this is how they live their life, they live for an audience of, of one. And that's God Himself. Godly wisdom knows that the greatest reward is not standing ovation or applause, but the voice of God saying, well done, good and faithful servants. That's the idea He's talking about here. Look at verse 18. He says it is a very probing statement. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's interesting that verse is thrown in there at the end. Is he's saying, be a person of peacemaker. Because there's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper and it's in this setting where they're dealing with persecution. He's like, let's be people who are peacemakers. A peacemaker strives to look, uh, strives to look honestly at a situation and allow truth to direct people to do what is right before God and each other. Why is that? So that growth may happen. So that healthy relationships can be achieved. And so James is saying, listen, in the church, we need to have very healthy relationships, and so let's be peacemakers because we live that out, and then the world sees that. A peacekeeper is concerned 
but not, not stirring the waters or, or not wanting to offend anybody, just keeping things from getting tense is their focus. The problem with a peacekeeper is that nothing ever gets resolved and nothing ever changes. Truth is never told and sin is never exposed. Behavior is never confronted and real growth never occurs. And with the mindset of just keep the peace, relationships and even churches become dysfunctional and eventually an explosion takes place. And so James is saying, let's be people that are peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, because this world needs to see peace in a God-centered way. A lot of times we don't do it because of fear. Fearful to confront, fearful to bring in the truth into light. The reality is that most people follow the world's wisdom when truth is revealed. We turn carnal, we we start to employ ways of the world which, which lead to the fruit of worldly thinking and strife and discord and factions and gossip and slander and disorder and dissension. And that's what, when that happens, God's Word is weakened and God's message is weakened and the kingdom of God is defeated instead of growing and being healthy. Let me ask you, are, are you wise this morning according to what James is talking about? Are, are you wise because you're living a life of purity that comes from being underneath the blood of Jesus Christ and healthy relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you wise this morning? Are you wise because you're considerate of others? Are you wise because you're giving out mercy, extending the hand of mercy? Are you wise or are you living according to the ways of the world? I ask you to close your eyes with me for a moment. I just want to ask you some questions. I ask you to prayerfully think about this and just to ponder these and think on them. Is there a place in your life where you need to be practiced impartiality and sincerity? Is there a place in your life where you need to really live out mercy and, and demonstrating the good fruit of Christ? How is God calling you this morning to be considerate and submissive at the same time to balance out justice and mercy? How is God calling you to peace-loving where you are underneath the blood of Jesus Christ and you've accepted His grace and His mercy and you're extending that to others? Are you living in purity where you've been washed by the blood of Jesus? With your heads bowed, I just want you to listen to some Scripture this morning. Proverbs 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. The book of Proverbs is full that directs us towards wisdom. Lord, we just read these Scriptures thinking about wisdom. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Father, we are asking for wisdom Lord, you, you have wisdom for us, and your Scripture tells us right where it is. It says it's right here in the Word. It says if, you, if we store up your Word, your commands within us, Lord, if we turn our ear to wisdom, we apply the heart to understanding, Lord. And James says not to just listen to the Word, but to do it, Lord. That's where wisdom is. And Lord, your Scripture tells us to call out, to cry for it, to search for it. Father, would you give us that kind of heart in this church? Would you give us that kind of heart that we would desire to call and to cry and to search for wisdom more than anything else? And Lord, our searching must begin right here in Scripture. 
Father, this world is broken. And we see it around us all the time, broken because of following worldly wisdom. And Lord, this world needs to see Jesus and know Jesus. And you have given us the power to live in the wisdom of Jesus, the wisdom of God. Lord, help us to do that. Father, we thank you for being able to be pure and whole because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of him giving his life. Because of him conquering the grave and rising again, Lord, we have a chance to be made pure. Father, we celebrate that each week in the time of communion and we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And Lord, as we do that today, would you help us to continue this thought and this wrestling with are we living according to worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Search our hearts this morning, Lord. Search our hearts and show us our ways that do not align with godly wisdom. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.